Well, I encourage you to take out your Bible, turn over to Jude chapter 1. Um, as of Thursday afternoon, about 2 o'clock, when Emily called me and shared with me about how ill they were, I uh, began to pray about, you know, what would God have me speak uh, in this hour? It's very important. And I think just today is going to be very direct and a charge to all of us as a church as we're coming out of the COVID pandemic is restrictions are loosening. Um, we're trying to figure out who's all in for the church and who's unable to be a part when some have even left. And so as we look at our church, we want to talk about how we can let the church be the church. <clears throat> I'm going to speak very directly today about some of these issues. Nothing new here, but Jude chapter 1, verses 3 through 4, and uh, Sorry for those of you who want to go to the app and find the outline. I just realized as I was standing there, I didn't put the outline in there for today. But I encourage you to take the notes out, and uh, we'll make sure that we highlight the blanks. Jude chapter 1, verse 3. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our Lord God into sensuality and deny our only Master and Lord Jesus Christ. Now if you skip down to verse 17, you'll see in some Bibles, you'll see highlighted there a call to perseverance. In verse 17 of Jude 1, it says, But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, they'll be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people devoid of the spirit. Verse 20, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. And may God add his blessing at the reading of his word this morning. So let's bow for prayer and commit this time to the Lord. Father, we uh, pray for Roman and Emily and for Henry and Josie. We pray for them as they're dealing with sickness in their family. We pray you'll heal them up very quickly, especially as they've just recently come back and they've got many churches to visit, places to go, family uh, events to attend. They were unable to be back last year. So, Lord, we pray it'll be just a wonderful time for them, and we look forward to them coming back and being with us on June 13th. Lord, we just pray you'll help us to have open hearts, open minds. We're not going to share anything new here, but, Lord, just challenge us. As we sang that song, I Surrender All, challenge us to commitment, to commit to what you want us to do as you speak to us through this message today. We pray and ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I was uh, doing some research for various things, I came across an article called The Splintering of the Evangelical Soul. And one of the problems we're facing in churches and sometimes even some of the people in our church are that we're seeing divisions and we're seeing preferences being the cause of those divisions among us. The author of this article, Splintering of the Evangelical Soul, said new fractures are forming within the American evangelical movement. Fractures that do not run along the usual regional, denominational, ethnic, or political lines. 
couples, families, friends, and congregations once united in their commitment to Christ are now dividing over seemingly irreconcilable differences and views of the world. In fact, they're not merely dividing, but becoming incomprehensible to one another. Recently, a group of college friends, this author said, his college friends, all raised and nurtured in healthy evangelical families and congregations, reconnected online in search of understanding. One person mourned that she could no longer understand her parents or how their views of the world had so suddenly and painfully shifted. Another described friends who were demographically identical, who had once stood beside him on practically every issue, but who now are prompted, promoted ideas he found shocking. Still another said her church was breaking up, driven apart by mutual suspicion and misunderstanding. These were my people, they said, but now I don't know who they are, or maybe I don't know who I am. What do you do when you feel you're losing the people you love, the author says, the false reality? What do you do with the humbling truth that they have precisely the same fear about you? The quandary is not just unique to evangelicals, but fellow believers who once stood shoulder to shoulder now find the tectonic shifts have thrust them apart. Their continents are separating and they cannot find a bridge back to find common ground. How could our views of reality diverge so dramatically and is there anything we can do to draw us together again in unity. So I want us to be very direct today. I most often give a big picture problem and we go to scripture and share what the answers are and then we bring it down to where we live. But I'm just gonna start where we live today and what we need to do at this time of opportunity. First thing, if you have your outline out, is we need to understand the world around us and how they view their gospel. There's a secular gospel out there and all you got to do is read or uh, listen to media experts, and uh, you'll see these common themes coming through what one man has coined the secular gospel. Uh, Mark Sayre came up with this. He's a pastor in Australia, as he noted the culture. And uh, John Mark Connor, a pastor in Seattle, Washington, uh, shared this information. And so the first thing you see from uh, a world's perspective is secular creation. Secular creation. They have their own kind of creation story. And they realize that as they were uh, born, they have this uh, focus on the inner self. I don't know about some of you who went to college, I'm sure Terry studied this, but Maslow had his uh, pyramid of self-actualization. I was a minor in psychology and we had to study this and it was all about how man could better himself pull himself up by his own bootstraps, by experience and education and all these various things. This is the mantra, this is the focus of the secular person and the secular creation. To make the inner self, to find the peace and the joy and satisfaction in life, whatever it takes. When people wound them or keep them from being satisfied or prevent them from doing or getting what they want, then they become the victim. Then we see the secular fall, the fall. The secular fall. And so as they're trying to build that inner person, that inner child, that inner self, um, they have this place where they come to and they, if you, and they realize that if they're not getting those things done in their life, they feel they're being oppressed. If you want and do, if what you want to do doesn't rise to the level of what I want, then I am being oppressed. People should not put any expectations on these people they feel like marriage commitment or parental duties or work uh, ethics. 
trying to identify their gender or social class or ethnicity or work or religion is traumatic and can cause a wound. They want to identify themselves, they want to define themselves, and then to add to that, they want it to be fluid from day to day to change. We see secular sin. The third one, sin, anything that doesn't make them happy, something that brings shame to their life, anything that causes them not to feel good about themselves because not reaching this inner self-satisfaction and peace in their lives. That's the sin, as Mark Sayers points out. But what's the salvation? How do they redeem themselves? How do they fulfill themselves? Well, it's called re rediscovering your inner child. And you've probably heard this over and over in the media many times and other people that they need to find themselves. I need to find myself. That's the beginning of secular salvation. And so they may go to therapy, they try yoga, meditation, self-help, look to the media, Hollywood entertainers, sports leaders, soul cycle. If you look that up, it's interesting. Um, it's it's an entire body uh, process. Yes, it begins with like the commercials on TV where you see the Peloton and you see them cycling and they've got a trainer and all that, but it, it's more than just that. It goes to their soul and their uh, mind as well. Well, it's an obsession with any enneagram uh, tests, discovering of who they are, but ignoring what needs to be done in their life. They want to focus on their strengths, but not their weaknesses. I will decide on what to work on and work on it myself. And so they're all about trying to uh, create their own brand. That's what a lot of people are out there trying to identify with who they are, their own brand. This is who I am. Accept me as I am. But what they're finding is that in this desire to please themselves, they're becoming exhausted, burned out, anxious, and depressed. They give up, <clears throat> check out on society, and they begin to isolate themselves. They become tired of trying to become the self they want to be. And so this is where the opportunity for the church comes in because they turn to look for answers. They turn to self-medication. They're not sure who they really are, even after they've gone to these great expense to try to find salvation, which brings peace and satisfaction through self-actualization. The last one there is secular heaven for the secular man and woman. They want no restrictions, no consequences for their actions, no need to ask for forgiveness, no binding commitments, no expectations, and they don't feel like they need to listen to external authorities. So the picture is a group of young couple sitting around a table, enjoying a wonderful food and drinking wine and living a life of ease. That is the picture of heaven for these people with no cares and no responsibilities placed on them. Mark Sayers says they want the kingdom, but not the king. He goes on to say, we attempt to progress in our lives without the presence of God. The imitation gospel, that's what the gospel is being portrayed today through Satan and other means. And I think about China. I read an article a couple years ago about how China sent leaders over to our country and they wanted to understand how the, the compassion, the mercy, the grace, the generosity of Christians without the Christianity to take it back and train their people. It's so interesting. The scary part of this secular salvation is how some, even in our church, some have bought into some of these philosophies for themselves. So here's the contrast, the kingdom of God people, who we are, 
the gospel with the power of the gospel. Look back at Jude chapter 1 and verse 3. Jude said, Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about your common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. Jude wanted to have a happy letter of joyous praise for these people. That's what he's saying there in verse 3. I want this to be a, a positive, encouraging, a stimulating letter. But instead he found out false teachers who were teaching false truths that infiltrated the believers in the church. And Jude was speaking out against them and urging the Jewish believers to contend for the faith or teaching that the apostles had given to them from the very beginning. In other words, he was saying, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. Look down at verse 17 as we read earlier, but you must remember, beloved, Jude chapter 1, verse 17, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you in the last time, there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is there, it is these who cause divisions and worldly people devoid of the spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life. And have mercy on those who doubt. Save others by snatching them out of the fire to others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Notice four things in verses 20 and 21. Two of them in verse 20, two of them in verse 21. He says in verse 20, building, growing in your knowledge and experience with God. And not just knowledge, but experience and obedient learning. Learning by doing the things that God says, not just putting the knowledge into our mind. And then sharing that life on life with others. Building yourself up, but building others up. Then he says in verse 20, praying. Praying not just to be praying, but praying in the power of the Holy Spirit. You ever just get alone with God and say, Lord, help me to know what to pray for. Help me know how to pray. Help me to know what words you want me to pray. To really uh, tap into the Holy Spirit. Verse 21 says, keeping. Stay nurtured by God as you build that relationship with him. And then waiting, living in expectation of Christ's return. And as we do that, as believers, we show mercy to the Christians around us who are doubting. And we snatch unbelievers from the fire and we cautiously, without becoming like the world, show mercy to the corrupt. I know for myself, I've been putting on the shepherd hat as pastor and visiting with people in our church some that haven't been here for quite a while, and uh, also visiting with some uh, area pastors. I'm meeting with a pastor next week to try to pull him back to orthodoxy and uh, to, to work with them. And it's astonishing to me to see the, the depth of the creeping away that even people in our church and then pastors, because of, through this COVID, through these issues that have come up, we've got to stand strong on the faith we see in the Word of God. we got to stand strong on the inspired, inerrant Word of God and hold to these time-tested truths no matter what the culture or government around us is like. We have to follow the historical teachings of the Bible that stood the test of time through all cultures, through all times, all the way back to the apostles and Paul. 
As I said just a moment ago, we're witnessing the running away very quickly of some groups who were solid in their doctrine for years and decades and hundreds of years to become pragmatic and to seek the acceptance of the world in order to be relevant. The church is not to be the mirror of the culture. The church is not to be the mirror of the culture. Harry Niehoff, former pastor of Connects Church in Toronto, said the future church will have to stand as an alternative to the culture and not as an echo to it. So as the world becomes more dissatisfied with trying to find the answers to life in themselves and their attempts to better themselves, they're going to be looking for light in the midst of the darkness when they lost hope and come to the end of themselves. So we have to hold true to the historical orthodoxy and to let our walk match our talk. We need to live out what we believe. And so we're going to go through a series of messages that will help us to live as committed believers of Christ in a world that's becoming more and more polluted to make an impact in the world. And that's the answer. It's not enough to just, as we'll say in a moment, to separate ourselves and to discern what is the truth and what's not. But as Jude admonishes us, we have to get involved in people's lives. I call it messy grace to help pull them out of the pollution and the corruption of this world. Our goal is to glorify God, to live in the truth, and to give out that truth through our actions of love, service, and compassion, and bring people to the truth. The truth is the gospel with the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. We're called to be kingdom of God Christians in our journey through life, and our end is to enjoy eternal life and to be made in the image of Christ. We're to be about the process of becoming like Christ, but we need to help other people find out who they were created to be so that they in turn can become more like Jesus Christ. It's just that simple. It's just that basic. But I say even sometimes in church, we make it too complicated. So how do we do it? I encourage you to look on your outline here. First of all, we are to be separated influencers. That sounds kind of like an oxymoron. We're not to, to be involved in the things of this world, but we're to be separated influencers. Jesus said it this way. We're to be in the world and not of the world. Take your Bible and turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 6. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. Paul talks about the importance for these Corinthian believers who had recently been saved. They lived in a culture of idolatry, sexual immorality, of all kinds of heinous sins in their life. And he writes this to them to help them as they begin to move out of that worldly influence and to let the Spirit of God flow through their lives. 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. Verse 14, Paul said, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? What accord has Christ with Belial or Satan? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God said, I will make my dwelling among them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Verse 17, therefore, go out from their midst and be separate from them, says the Lord, and touch no unclean thing. Then I will welcome you, and I will be a father to you, and you shall be sons and daughters to me, says the Lord God Almighty. He wants us to be a separated people. Titus calls them peculiar people. First Peter says a special people. 
called away to God, separated. Sanctified means to become holy, to set apart. So he's saying that we've got to separate ourselves from the world. But in contrast to that, Jesus said in John 17, I encourage you to turn over there, John 17, to balance that out. We're not to become monks. We're not to uh, pull away from anybody in the world and turn off all of our media and all these things. But in John 17, it says in verse 15, Jesus is talking his high priestly prayer. This is his last prayer, his prayer for the church going forward after he resurrects and the church begins on Pentecost. John 17, 15, he says, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them or set them apart in truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they may also be sanctified in truth. There needs to be a clear distinction in our values and our conduct compared to the world philosophies around us. Another aspect, not only to be separate influencers, we're to be good stewards of God's material possessions. <clears throat> good stewards of God's material possessions to glorify him and advance his kingdom. That's the next blank on your outline. We could take time and look over at Matthew chapter 25, the parable of the talents. But we all have read that many times. And so here's the question that comes out of that. How can I invest financially in eternal things after I take care of my personal needs? How can I use the things God has given me to glorify him and advance his kingdom? Here's a great example. Maybe some one or two or three of you could meet this need. We have a gentleman that called our church from the Palmer Hills Retirement Center right across the street from the Bettendorf football field. I think it's on Maple Crest. His name is Craig, and uh, he moved here from Georgia. He sent a financial gift to our church. He would like to attend our church, but he needs a ride to come to church on Sunday mornings. And maybe God would speak to you about the possibility of taking time to uh, be willing to give him a seat in your car and to pick him up. And if we had several people do that, that would be a, a need that could be met and, and would really touch Craig's life. Another thing we need to be on your outline is to be good stewards of God's spiritual possessions to glorify him and advance his kingdom. Not just our finances, but our cars, our different uh, things that we have, our homes, other things that we possess, we use them to glorify God and advance his kingdom. In 1 Corinthians 12, it says, Now there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the spirit for the common good. God gives each one of us a gift set of spiritual gifts. And in verse 7 of 1 Corinthians 12, he says it's to be used for the common good, to share with one another, to complement the spiritual gifts of other people. So the question we need to ask ourselves, how can I better serve my church? Just a practical thing. We're grateful for Vanessa making the coffee today, and a new lady who started coming, Pat Stewart, who used to come to this church years ago, has stepped up and she's willing to make coffee. Well, we would love to have one or two more volunteers who would be willing to step in 
in a practical way, just to take turns in case Pat's out of town. We think of people in need of small group leaders that we need uh, in our adult classes to give people opportunity to hear different perspectives in opening God's word and facilitating in teaching times. We think of a fellowship team. We need of a leader for the fellowship team as we kind of start things back up in August with food in our church. We have been violating our policy on um, counting money. And so we're going to begin uh, counting money with two or three people after the service. We've left it to Josh to do that, and that's great. But So as we start things back up, we need manpower. We need people to step up and help us with some of these areas of needs. And then we need to be sowers on your outline, the sowers of the word that produces a spiritual harvest. This is probably one of the greatest things we need to do. We have a wonderful church, a great building. we got awesome worship music. And we got so many good things that those in our community uh, need to hear about and know about to help bring them to Christ. We're to be sowers of the word that produces a spiritual harvest, a personal concern for the lost, a personal concern for the lost. Now, we have some things in the pipeline that, as a church, we're going to do uh, in the coming season to do some outreach where we share the gospel with our community. I just spoke with uh, Luis Leo at the YMCA on Friday, and uh, we're hopefully, prayerfully, going to partner with him to do a trunk or treat event around Halloween. We'll hope to get the youth group to help uh, take some of our cars and trunks and decorate them. And, and they have a bouncy house, and we're going to do some things like that to reach out to our community and have the opportunity to share the gospel. But we need to be doing it on a personal level, and I know many of you already are, but it's just a, a reminder. The other day I was at a restaurant, and I just left one of our invitation cards on the table. Just something as simple as that, even if you can't have a conversation. Are we looking, are we intentional about sharing our faith? And as I was uh, studying the parable of the seed and the four soils, one thing that really jumped out at me is that we need to be focused on the good soil and those who are receptive. We sow the seed widely, but when we come across someone who's receptive and open, that's where we need to pray and begin the conversations and invest our time. But we need to spread the seed. I like what Ron Hutchcraft says. Ron Hutchcraft, he works for Youth for Christ, and you hear him on Moody Radio about 5.55 every uh, morning through the week. But he talks about every morning he gets up and he prays for God to give him an open door, looking for an open heart, and have an open mouth to share in a spiritual conversation. In Luke chapter 10, Jesus encouraged his disciples to pray the prayer of peace. As they went into a town and shared the good news of Christ, if they were rejected, then they were to shake off the dust and move to the next town. But pray for the person of peace who would be open to hear the word of God. So we need to be intentional about that. And then a personal commitment sacrifice for the sake of the community of the believers. Commitment. Commitment is the key word there. You know, for many of us, and I, I can um, understand, especially those that have small children, just getting up on Sunday morning and getting everybody fed and get everybody dressed and didn't leave anybody behind when you get in the car, and then you get to church, that's like the moral victory, right? And that's just, you're satisfied to be able to make it. 
And then the next thing would be to make sure that we, not only we get here, but that we come to worship. We come prepared to worship and to give of ourselves to the Lord. But it's a commitment. It's a sacrifice of our time to make sure that we're gathered together for the community of the believers. And then each one of us needs a personal care for the flock. Personal care for the flock. We look around and see people that aren't here today. Maybe they're watching on YouTube or whatever, and that's great. And maybe they just need to be invited to come back. And so it's important for us to reach out and to connect and say, hey, we're missing you. How come you're not here? What can we do to help you to get here? It means a lot when the elders and the deacons and those in the circle of concern and the pastor call. It means even more if you have a friendship with that person. So we need to pull those folks back in. And then we need to have a personal care for the property of our church, for the advancement of God's kingdom. I want to thank uh, Danny Gatton for all he's done in the last number of months through the pandemic. And then as he retired, he's really gotten more involved here. Thanks to Karen Austin for a lot of extra time and work through this period of the pandemic. Thanks to those who served on the workday we had on April 24th. And thanks to those who set up and tear down for different events. Thanks to those who on their own see a need and fix something or improve something or buy something for the church. So our key thought today as we come to a close is this. This for us today as we're here is the clarion call of commitment for our church to be the church. We're resetting. We're refocusing. We're a smaller church. There are people that have left, I've talked to. There are people that are not coming back. There are people who have passed away. You think of Jerry Kilpatrick, you think of Steve Bob, you think of Lois Lee, Mel Dirksen. You think of people like that. I just uh, saw one of the TV stations has shown a new commercial calling it the Quad Cities Comeback. Well, it's time for our church to have a comeback as well. And so I do thank all the elders and the task force team members as they've walked us through this journey. For Jim Gray and Josh Barnes and the finance team, do you realize we have more money in the bank than we've ever had in the 12 years I've been here? And that's, to think about that going through the pandemic is amazing. Thankful for all of our Awana workers, our children's church workers, nursery and Sunday school staff. We've been able to gradually bring back and maintain some of our programs, but we're a smaller church. And we have people that may not even get back as the easing of these restrictions begin now for a while. And so we need to pray for them. We need to come alongside them and encourage them. I'm excited though, as we get to start over our church and our ministries. Some things we do going forward uh, will be different. Some things we're not gonna bring back. And so we're gonna be a very simple, focused church as we go forward. So this is gut check time. This is reset time. This is a time for us to refocus all of us of why we are here. This is a reminder of God's purpose for his kingdom church to go out and to make an impact in the community around us. So we need a commitment of people, as I said, to point out a few of these needs to serve, to gather together in corporate worship more than ever. Jesus said that he would build his church and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. But we need to be his infantry men and women to put on the armor of God and to advance his kingdom in this world. We are in enemy territory and it begins with guerrilla warfare, one-on-one, winning people back from the enemy and bringing them into the kingdom of life. 
it's not just talk, it's not just giving financially, but to serve others in the church. And not just for our sakes and our personal growth and the benefits that we get from the church, but also to share those benefits with others outside that have yet to have a clear presentation of the gospel. Do you realize there's many people that I come across that they've never really heard a clear presentation of the gospel in Scott County? 50% of our county does not go to church on a Sunday morning. And so we have privilege and opportunity. The CD guidelines, CDC guidelines, as of late this week, says if you're fully vaccinated and two weeks after the vaccination, you don't have to wear a mask outside or inside anymore except for special circumstances and you don't have to social distance. As of Thursday, according to Mayor Bob Gallagher from Bettendorf, Rock Island County is 30% fully vaccinated of those eligible to receive the vaccine. Scott County is 50% fully vaccinated of those eligible to receive the vaccine. Do you realize the calls for ambulance is down to the normal daily rate it was long before the pandemic? Mental health issues are skyrocketing and the mayor reports that on 4th of July, we're gonna have full activities here in Bettendorf as we've had two years ago and following. So it's time to come back. We're gonna meet outside for worship for the foreseeable future weather permitting, but the church has to come together first and renew our relationships and our commitments to the Lord and with one another. And so as we do that, we need to turn our focus outward to focus on also to sow the seed of the gospel and let God harvest those who we will harvest. And we're to look for those who are receptive but sowing the seed everywhere we go. As I close, I shared this uh, quote a couple weeks ago in one of the messages. William Temple, the Archbishop of Canterbury, said this, the church is the only institution that exists primarily for the benefit of those who are not its members. Yeah, it's here for us. We need each other. We need to build each other up. But ultimately, it's open-ended for anyone. Just like we sang that song, I Surrender All. It's open-ended to anyone who will give their life to Christ. Here's some questions to ponder and then we'll pray. Questions to ponder this week. More than ever, what can you do to help the church be the church to our fellow believers and is equally important to the lost in our community? We got to sometimes think beyond ourselves. Second of all, how could you increase your level of commitment using your time and talents and treasures to build the church Christ wants for Pleasant View Baptist Church to be beginning today? We got some to fill because of ministries that we want to open up or have already opened up and have needs. And lastly, will you pray and also put feet to your prayers for the spiritual and numerical growth of our wonderful church? Let's bow for prayer. And as we do, I'm going to pray the benediction that's at the end of the book of Jude as we think about being persevering saints. Let's pray. Now to him, who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. To the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now forever. Amen.